Live from MoLite Studios in the heartland of America, it's your Monday morning jolt of hot photography tips with a frothy topping of the latest product news from Godox, MoLite, and more. Welcome to the Monday Morning Cup of Mo with your host, the man who put the Mo in MoLite, Michael Mowbray. Good morning and welcome to the Monday Morning Cup of Mo. I'm your host, Michael Mowbray. Each week I pour a cup of coffee and I explore a single topic related to professional photography. So thank you very much for joining me. Today I'm talking about speed lights, which are great tools when used right. But often folks expect more out of them than they can deliver. So I'm going to run through the good, the bad, and ooh, you really shouldn't do that with speed lights today. First of all, what is a speed light? Well, it's the generic term for flashes that can be mounted into your camera's hot shoe. Speed lights are small in size, they're battery powered, and they typically have a head that can be rotated and tilted. Within this flash head is usually a Fresnel lens, that's pronounced Fresnel, um, that helps to create a concentrated beam of light. This Fresnel can be zoomed back and forth to widen or narrow the light beam to affect the spread of light coming from the flash head. Many speed lights are dedicated to working with specific camera brands like Canon, Nikon, Sony, and so on, and feature special functionality when paired with matching cameras. These functions include TTL auto flash exposure, high-speed sync, rear or second curtain flash, stroboscopic flashing, which is often called multi-mode, and the ability to communicate with the camera when used off-camera either via infrared communication or via radio when used with a dedicated transmitter. Overall, one of the best qualities of speed lights is that they pack a lot of features into a small form factor. One of the worst things about speed lights is that they can be challenging to use because they pack so many features into a small form factor. They're not always intuitive as these features can be hidden under layers of menus or dual purpose buttons. And I'm not going to get into all the details of using speed lights to create different looks and such. That's a subject worthy of a day-long flash dancing workshop, which I've taught many times. Instead, I'm going to hit a few highlights on what you should know about using speed lights. For more details, you can always check out my book, The Speed Light Studio. It's hard to find a printed copy because they sold out. They sold out pretty fast. But you can still order the Kindle version on Amazon and the Nook version on Barnes & Noble. There are also tons of videos and workshops out there that will teach you the how-tos of using speedlights. All right, so let's get down to the meat of speedlights. And no, speedlights aren't made of meat. Um, <laughs> they don't even taste good. Speedlights are necessary, in my opinion, for wedding and event photographers, photojournalists, CSI photographers, really any photographer who needs to be super portable, fast, and deals with unpredictable lighting situations all day long. Most people start with the flash on camera and aim it forward. While this will illuminate your scene, the light is often harsh, flat, and unflattering. This may not matter when capturing a crime scene, but it might not be appreciated by a bride. Well, this leads to the second level of using speed lights, learning how to turn the flash head to bounce the light off the ceiling or off the walls or off of Uncle Bob's face because he's been in your way all day long. I may or may not have done that. Bouncing flash is beneficial in two ways. It creates more dimensional light because you can bring the light from a direction other than straight down the lens, which, as I've said before, is unflattering. And because the light from the flash will spread as it travels, you will create a bigger, softer light source when you bounce the flash off a white wall or a ceiling. 
And for more information about soft and hard light, listen to the two episodes previous to this one because I go into great detail about that. While Bouncing Flash is excellent and genuinely is next-level Flash Ninja kind of stuff, it introduces one of the main problems I want to address today. It takes a lot more power to bounce Flash than it does to fire it straight at the subject. Think of it this way. If your subject is 10 feet away and you fire Flash directly at them, it only travels 10 feet to reach them. However, if you turn the Flash head to point up at a ceiling that is 10 feet above you, the bounce light will need to travel 20 feet or more to reach the subject, which will require at least four times the flash output to achieve the same flash exposure. That's the difference between quarter power and full power on your speed light. Now, this is an oversimplified application of the inverse square law, which, if I ever wholly define in detail on this podcast, will signal the end of the podcast and probably the beginning of the apocalypse. So if you want to learn more about the inverse square law, look it up. Uh, the key takeaways here are that bounce flash from a speed light typically is more flattering, and it takes a lot more power to bounce light than it does to fire it straight at the subject. And this leads to my central point of this entire episode. So what have I been trying to get up to here? Firing your speed light repeatedly and quickly at high power levels will cause it to overheat and will dramatically shorten the lifespan of your speed light. I backed my way into what I really wanted to talk about there, and that's this. I find that too many photographers expect too much out of their speed lights. They expect to be able to fire them quickly and repeatedly at high power levels, then complain when they overheat or burn out. That's not how this works. You cannot defy physics with your speed lights. No matter how much you wish them to be indestructible, you cannot repeatedly push them too far and expect them to keep performing. It's kind of like taking your Ford Focus to a drag race and expecting it to win heat after heat. It won't keep up with the Porsches, my friend. You'll keep redlining the engine, trying to get it to keep up, and eventually you'll blow the engine. It's the same thing with speed lights. You can't machine gun them at high power levels and not expect to pay the price of a burned out flash or fire shot after shot with flashes in TTL and high speed sync without eventually causing damage. Well, how do I know this? I used to do this myself at weddings all the time and I routinely burned out my Canon speed lights. 10 years ago, it cost $140 in repairs each time I burned out a Canon 580 EX2 and each one I owned would get repaired at least once a year. The flashes were $549 each to purchase and $140 to fix. So imagine my delight when Godox introduced their lithium-ion powered speed lights that cost about a quarter of, a, of the price of a new Canon speed light. Essentially, a new Godox was about the cost of just the repair on a Canon speed light. To me, that meant I could burn out four Godox speed lights for the price of just one Canon. So finally... Speed light costs were reasonable, but this didn't solve the burnout problem caused by pushing speed lights too far. And just as a side note, some people complain about Godox are made cheap and they burn out too easily. Hey, man, I was buying those five, six hundred dollar Canon speed lights and they were burning out just as easily and just as fast. Uh, quality is very, very similar. So I digress. At the time, many of us felt like we had no other choice. To, than to push our speed lights too far because there really weren't any other options. There weren't any good, powerful flash options that were portable, battery-powered, or able to work on camera, or had TTL and high-speed sync. 
And with the Godox radio system now, the ability to work off camera and still have all the great features I just mentioned. But they were still underpowered for how we wanted to shoot. So it was either compromised by slowing down and lowering the power or maybe ganging more of them together. And that's what many of us did. I took four speed lights and put them on a bracket off camera and used an on-camera speed light or a transmitter to fire them. Now the power could be spread across four speed lights instead of one, reducing the wear and tear. An excellent solution for a bit, but then Godox introduced the AD360, and after that, the AD362. These had the same output power as four speed lights combined together, all in one portable flash. If the lithium-ion-powered speedlights put Godox on the map, then the powerful AD360s put them squarely in the spotlight. And we know how it went after that. Now Godox has the largest market share of any flash manufacturer in the world. They've got about 25% of the market. Profoto, for example, has around 20%, and that number keeps shrinking as the Godox market share grows. But I digress. What does this mean today? What is my point? I've made a few points so far, but here are a few more. Understand the power limitations of your speedlight and quit burning them out. Or at least understand that is how you are using them that is the problem, not the speedlight itself. It can only do so much. Remember my example of taking your Ford Focus to do some drag racing? It can't handle it. If you are pushing your speed light too far, here are some tips to help it stay in the game. Number one, slow down. Speed lights can't take constant rapid bursts of flashing. It's the quickest way to burn them out. Two, switch from TTL to manual. In TTL mode, your speed light actually fires twice, once at 132nd power to help the camera gauge the exposure and then a second time for the actual exposure. By switching to manual, the flash only fires once. Three, avoid high-speed sync at all costs. There may be times when you need it, and I dedicated an entire podcast to this topic, but I often find that by simply adjusting my ISO down or by choosing a slightly closed-down aperture, I can stay out of high-speed sync without adversely compromising my vision for the shot. For example, if you're shooting outside and find you need to use high-speed sync, first make sure that you're using the lowest ISO that you can. I see folks shooting high-speed sync flash outside with their ISO set to 400 or higher. No! No, 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 no! You're making your flash work way too hard. Bump that ISO down to 100. Or, if shooting at 2.8 puts you into high-speed sync, Try shooting at 3.5, f3.5, or even f4, if that will allow you to drop your shutter speed down below the limit for high-speed sync. Avoid high-speed sync whenever you can. Lastly, if you constantly need more power than your speed light can deliver, then seek out one of the more powerful flashes from Godox, the 8200 Pro, which is the power of about three speed lights, the 8300 Pro, which is the power of about four, the 8400 Pro, the 8600 Pro, or heck, even the AD1200 Pro. There's a 1200 watt second battery-powered flash from Godox. A speedlight is a cool little tool, but it's not the be-all and end-all of portable lighting. There are other options. Be sure to match the correct flash to your needs. 
Here's the latest news from Godox and Molite. If you need a new speedlight, be sure to check out the new Godox V863 at Molite. It has the same user interface as the popular Godox V1, but has a standard rectangular speed headlight instead. In addition, the V863 has an LED built into the body of the flash to help you focus in low light, or to use as a modeling light, or to use as a continuous light source in a pinch. Also, all Godox and Golden Eagle LEDs are currently on sale at Molite. Save on everything from the popular LC500R RGB wand to the powerful 740-watt Godox M600D. The sale ends June 18th, so don't wait. Check out the sale at www.gomolite.com. Thank you again for joining me for a Monday Morning Cup of Mo. Please subscribe and follow and give us a high rating while you're at it. I will also be posting more information on the podcast Facebook page, so be sure to follow that as well. And join the Monday Morning Cup of Mo podcast group where you can ask questions, suggest topics, and join the rest of the community as we grow this together. Talk to you soon.